Hello, I am Katrina Collier, and as part of my mission to inspire all the people that recruit people to treat people better, I bring you the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited podcast. Here, you will hear from those hiring leaders who create true partnerships with recruiters, HR, and talent acquisition because they know that it delivers a better result for the business and a better human experience. May this podcast inspire other hiring leaders to create better partnerships with their recruiters and HR. And may it inspire recruiters to create true and valuable partnerships with their hiring leaders because people make businesses succeed and people matter. So let us begin. Peter Nichols, thank you so much for joining the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited podcast. Now, my understanding is you're a business and tech executive who is recognized for digital innovation. But what really impressed me was the fact you're an author of four books. Having written one, I find that very impressive. But other than, you know, welcome to the show, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about your new book, Think, Lead, Disrupt, How Innovative Minds Can Connect Strategy to Execution. Hey, good morning. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I was excited to uh, to put that out. It's been a couple of years in the, in the making here. Really, the focus of um, I think Lead Disrupt is around how do you kind of get world class ideas out of the leaders continuously. So, how do you know the the best leaders in your organization continuously come up with you know earth shattering type of ideas that gain traction and are sticky in the organization and ultimately connect strategy to execution. So. As you kind of look at the the marketplace and the environment from a, a business perspective these days, yeah. you get a lot of different types of, of tech. You know, you hear AI and machine learning and blockchain and <laughs> digital analytics and a ton of other buzzwords. Um, and it was funny. I was talking with some other biotech leaders yesterday, and what we came up with was, you know, if everybody's using artificial intelligence and machine learning and everyone has the same exact car, what's the differentiating factor in your business? And I think that part of the the opportunity for executives and expiring leaders, you know, even mid-level leaders is to try to really figure out what that diversification strategy looks like and how you leverage those technologies to be diverse. And I think it's kind of a misnomer that you're probably not going to get a lot of great diversity out of you know using technology that everyone else is using. If everybody's using Word and you use Microsoft <laughs> Word, are you game changing and you know throwing up the business? Uh, probably not. So, no. you know, it's it's interesting to it look must... at some of the opportunities um, in a different way. Does it come back to the people? Then I'm hoping you say that having written a book that's all about people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, the, the goal is <laughs> is how you connect stuff together, and that's kind of yeah. an individual and a unique perspective that different leaders look at. So you have two folks, and they look at the same stuff, and one person says, "Oh, this technology will be the future." And then somebody else says, well, what if we engage people this way and leverage that as a enabler as opposed to the thing that we focus on um, that's most critical? And I think that's really where you start to get the differentiation is how people start to look at and the, the way the leaders build information and collect information and aggregate information and leverage it in their, into their businesses to, pro- mm. you know, to provide that differentiation. So... Then I guess it comes back to the recruitment part. Now, of course, you know, Debbie Easterday said I had to talk to you because you partner with her really well. So 
she's amazing. Yep. She, she so is. Um, I, I have not met one person that doesn't adore her. She's just, oh, she's so good at it. Um, and she takes recruiting to a whole level above as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, so obviously we're, we're looking for a mindset, aren't we? When it comes to recruiting the kind of people that you're talking about, but does that become hard to recruit? Like, how do you assess for that kind of a mindset? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's really where we kind of dialed in, um, you know, most, most recently at uh, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, you know, years ago when it was, uh, you know, nobody heard of them. And now, you know, with vaccines and, you know, monoclonal antibodies and other types of progressive biologics, they're, they're in the news a lot. But, you know, at the time we were trying to build a team and the team only had a couple people on it. So how do you build this team when you're trying to scale? You want to hire the right people. You know, you don't want to overhire, but you want to you want them to be a specialist, but not too specialized because you only have so many people on the team. And it really comes down to the, the mindset of the individuals you bring on. And my take is, you know, I hire for learning intelligence. So if you think about, you know, IQ, which is the ability to know and EQ, which is the ability to feel. LQ is kind of something that's not really talked about as much, which is the ability to learn. And it's kind of considered learning agility. So you know, if somebody came into your organization and was an expert in, you know, whatever the technology is, you know, a couple of years ago, are, are they really going to be that valuable in, in a couple of years? I don't know. Not if they haven't continued to learn the new progressive yeah. technologies and with, with data and analytics and some of the, you know, new progressive technologies, it's really it's really a determining factor on more of how quickly you can learn concepts that you're not familiar with, as opposed to, you know, saying, well, I have 20 years in, in data. Okay. I have 20 years in data too. So what? So, you know, how are you getting that next level of education or that next level experience, or how are you going to be able to, to transform and, and do a data journey where you're doing digital, you know, digitization transformation organizationally, if you don't have that next level of knowledge, and that's really, I think, what comes down to when we do the hiring, you know, f- for the teams I lead, I'm really interested in learning intelligence. So if you're not an expert in the AWS that, cluster that we use or, you know, you're not a, a, a programmer, you know, executive or a, a director that has deep knowledge in that space, I'm really less concerned about that. And I'm more concerned about how you think and how you learn. And what I've found is that by doing a combination of you know, the, the four different dimensions of learning, which are self-reflection, self-adaptation, the learning experience and clustering, you start to realize that people who understand how they learn, they can pick up concepts extremely quickly that mm. others just can't pick up. And it's not that they can't learn, you know, I'm not a mechanic or, or that type, but I could figure out how to work a car, you know, if I had yeah. to, but it's like not really where I'm, I'm comfortable. And I think that when yeah. you find folks that are very comfortable in learning some of this progressive technology or, you know, frankly, on the people side, the softer side, you know, how to understand um, empathy and how to relate. And you know, now with all the, the craziness that's going on, it's really important. Um, and we were on a call a couple of days ago with some executives from the UK. And it was like, you know, one of the biggest challenges is, is how do you empathize with your team? You know, five years ago, it was like, hey, this is what I need. And, and talk to me when it's completed. And now it's like, well, you know, what's going on? everything's fine. No, no, but seriously, how are things going? Again, they're fine. And you kind of have to slowly peel that off to, to get people to open up a little bit. And 
and say, well, you know, things aren't too great. This happened or that happened and, and be a little bit more realistic and, and listen to some of the concerns. And that wraps into, you know, having a team that has high degrees of trust and high degrees of collaboration. And if you mm. can't do that, then you start to limit your upscale potential on the high performing potential team. Inversely, if you can tap into that, then you get a team that really starts to gel well and it can perform, you know, much at a much higher level than and more consistently than a lot of other teams. And, and that's really where it gets exciting. So how do you interview for that? Because there's a level of vulnerability that has to come in, isn't it? To sort of say, right. well, I made this mistake and I learned from it or I, oh, I'm not, things aren't going so great. So I pivoted and did this and because there can still be that old, particularly here in Britain, the stiff upper lip. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying my best British when I'm Australian, even though I've lived here a long, <laughs> long time. It's not working. Um, but that, that, because we're all under a pretense. So it's how, how have you found that you can best like get those questions? Do you Are you vulnerable yourself when you're interviewing or have you got a, something, a tip you can share? <laughs> sure, sure. So my, my first thought is, you know, you don't really need smarter people. You need smarter learners. So what we're trying to find mm-hmm. is people that have that natural organizational agility and they can just move through the organization. But likewise, when new topics or concepts come up, and it could be on the people side, it could be on the tech side, it could be on the organizational, it could be change management, whatever, they're able to pick up those concepts and apply a fit for purpose approach very quickly. So uh, what you find is you don't have the conventional questions about, you know, tell me about yourself because what you end up <laughs> receiving is a story that they probably heard. You know, I think of how many times I interviewed somebody and they said, and you know, you get a, well, let me tell you about yourself. It's like you, you end up hiring really good storytellers and not really good learners. Or you'll, you'll bring on people that have, you know, after the 50th interview, you can tell that story pretty good, you know, and you're not really measuring their ability to come up to speed. So you start to mm-hmm. have to think about different ways and, and ideas of how to present situational environment questions, you know, not like how many ants in New York City, but like more practical type stuff where <laughs> it's, it's not an analytical test. It's more of a thinking test. And yeah. And there isn't really a prep for it. So it's, you know, it it could be a a lot of different things. You know, one funny thing we, I I use sometimes is like, you know, it was when we were on site and now it's a little bit virtual. So it's a little bit different, but you look out the window and you see like a car in a parking lot of a sea of cars and it'd be like, all right, your challenge is to move that car as fast as possible. How do you do it? And it's like, what do you mean? How do I do it? It's like, well, that car is stuck there. And we need to move it immediately. How do you get it out of that parking spot? And, and you get all these funny different answers, you know, of like, yeah. well, I talked to security and it's like, well, there's 3,500 people in this building. So they're going to what broadcast to everybody to move that one car that probably nobody remembers, you know, the guy's probably at lunch anyways. So <laughs> you start to go through these different examples of like, well, how would you do that? And yeah. it, it starts at kind of like a conceptual, you know, conservative approach and ends up with like, well, I'll just attach it to my car and I just push it out of the way. Yeah. And <laughs> that was one of the scenarios going through my head, but it's currently snowing in London. So I was thinking I'd probably slip my way out to the car. Yeah. yeah I'm in, <laughs> I'm in, uh, I'm in Connecticut outside of New York and it's, it's snowing here too. You'd be yeah, sliding out there as well. It's funny how immediately I went into problem solving mode. That's an excellent question. So what you find is you, like, you're able to use, like my take is like, 
you know, you bring that person on and I'm less concerned about all their background. I'm more concerned about their collective background as it relates mm. to the role that I'm trying to hire for. So, you know, why you left your last position or the great thing you did at your last position, I'm less concerned about that and more concerned about how you take that collective knowledge and wisdom and apply, apply it into it. the situations that we're trying to solve today in this scenario. And how they brought, and that kind of goes to like how people learn, you know, whether yeah. you have a degree from, from Harvard or you learned it on your, on your own through, you know, moves and online massive courses doesn't really make a difference to me as long as you can apply that. And so, there's a big shift in a lot of like how you collect that information. I think people are less concerned about formalized academia and more interested in about just the knowledge, like how you got it is less important. And those scenarios actually, that are learning focus really f kind of dial into mm, that. Yeah. Which is actually really lovely to hear because not everybody can go to university or college. So that's great to hear. So how did you, I mean, you're a novice interviewer at some point or a novice hiring leader. How did you learn all of this yourself? Was it trial and error or was there an aha yeah, I mean, moment? I probably started off as a bad hiring manager. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago when I didn't know anything, but I think as, you know, as I built teams up, I, I started to realize like common traits and that's kind of why I wrote learning intelligence. I started to realize common things that people had who excelled and it wasn't, and obviously people who are smart learners, you know, they tend to be brighter than not. However, it's not necessarily the case. And what you start to do is you start to get some people that are a little bit eccentric and have niche <laughs> knowledge areas, yep. but collectively can work and collaborate really well and high perform. And I think over, over time, as I started to hire different people and I'm like, wow, I thought that person would be a perfect fit and they didn't work out. Huh? Why didn't they work out on paper? All 10 of the 10 boxes were checked and it's like, well, that wasn't really good enough. And, you know, even today, um, I think there's a tendency to to hire clones, you know, the existing person that left. It's like, well, our, mm. our person who left, and I talked to somebody else, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a position that came up and it was like, you know, these are the 10 things we need. You know, you look at the background of the person who left and it's like, those are the 10 things they had. It's like, okay, you know, that person's path led them there. Okay. There's a hundred other paths that maybe get you there and a little bit wiser. And I think that part of the, the learning experience, you know, as you kind of go through, you know, your career and 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 learn as a, a young manager and then more more experience is you find mm -hmm. out what 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 you know ultimately works and what doesn't work, and a lot of the behavior questions, like personally, I just don't think they work. You know, <laughs> throw it's them like, out. <laughs> tell me about a a team that you worked in that was you know stressful and how you pulled yourself. Okay, great, I can tell you a hundred stories like that. And I can tell you 20 that somebody else told me because I can't. Yeah. I have a and we actually memory. probably so, won't get the truth. <laughs> well, that's the kind of the bottom line. You're not really, yeah. I'm going to answer the question. I mean, I have enough experience, so I'm going to answer the question fine. But it's like somebody else is maybe doesn't have enough experience yeah. and answers their buddy's answer. But they're a little, but they're, you know, fairly bright and they can just retell a story like anybody else can, you know, a joke at a bar. And mm. now you bring that person in and you're like, I don't know why they didn't fit in. They gave me the perfect story. No, they gave you the story you wanted to hear, but they didn't really apply it in context. And it wasn't really an adaptive type of approach where you go in and there's this concept called, you know, zero-based learning um, or ZBL. And the idea is you start with zero knowledge. And, yeah, cool. you know, if you, if you start something and I say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this transformation or we have to hire 50 people, you may just immediately think, 
oh, okay, well, I hired, I hired a team of 30 before, or I placed a team of whatever. Yeah, okay, I have an idea of kind of what they need. But when you start to do something that is, you know, way outside that realm and you really don't have any pre, you know, some prior knowledge. Um, I always talk about like one of the questions I kind of ask is like, you know, you've been assigned this project called, um, you know, our robotics and it's a new technology. And of course everybody's trying to look it up, but it doesn't exist because I made it up. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, tell me about how you'd implement that technology. And people are like, you know, Oh Jesus, I don't really know the technology, but that's not really the question. The question is, well, yeah. how do you come up to speed on this cool new technology? You know, it could be AI or blockchain or whatever, but where do you get your base? How do you get grounded? How do you start that journey of education and, and learning? And that's really what's more interesting. Just like when you get assigned mm -hmm. an initiative or a product or a project or, or whatever, how do you come up to speed? You don't know the team. You don't really know what they do. You know, even if you know the area, you don't know how they operate on it and, and what their operating model is. So those types of, of skills, I think, are really, um, really essential. Yeah, they're really essential. And they really help map into the current role well. And it's, it's harder to kind of test those. So that would be, I would say, from what you said so far, the top tip for hiring managers, which is start looking for the learning. Actually, I caught in a way um, curiosity as well. Like I always think the best recruiters, for example, have curiosity. If they don't know how to do something, they'll go find out. They're always asking questions. It's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? That yeah, wanting yeah, to absolutely. learn and know. A lot of times, you know, you find that the folks that really excel well in these roles that have, you know, high learning intelligence, like outside of, of work, they're doing those types of things. You know, they're they're a swim coach. They are, they tinker with their cars on the weekend. They, you know, run a book club, they do this or they do whatever. And as a result, they have that kind of natural interest in continuing to, to learn different things. And it's, it's kind of cool when you pull a whole team together and everybody has a weird different background, yeah. you know, of what they think is kind of cool. And you start to talk about it and it's like, you know, one person like genealogies and one person like, you know, mm. his, history of presidents and one person like this. And you start to add it all up and you're like, this is an interesting group. But together, they just work really well and function really well. And I think that's that systemic of um, of a modern hiring process that isn't so conventionally of, you know, tell me about a time when X. <laughs> Do you think in a way, this is going to sound strange, but in a way, because we now are working remotely thanks to this little pesky pandemic that actually we're getting this insight into people's lives, which like, you know, you can see in my home, you can see behind people, you see their children suddenly, their dogs, their animals, whatever it is. And actually you do, people start to, they're a lot more open about all these interests that they have outside of work. In a way, it's sort of helping you with your hiring, I guess. I yeah, know what I'm I, trying to say. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's that, I it's mean, that it's, you, it's you're, you're being proactive and asking for the insight, but actually we sort of see it in a way as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a fine line on the hiring. I, I think like once you have your team in place, you have a, a, an opportunity to extend, you know, a little bit more into into what's happening. And I think as a as a leader, you're more apt to be vulnerable and say, hey, you know what? I'm stressed out today. I got to be honest, you know, this and this happened. And mm. why don't we touch base tomorrow on, on this unless it's critical. And inversely, yeah. I think your team is more emotionally aware of what's going on 
on the hiring, uh, you know, when you're hiring, I think it's a little bit tough because of some of the legal stuff of, of you know, yeah. what you actually say on those calls. But I, I would say, you know, obviously people can volunteer stuff. Um, the flip side of that is like that inherent, you know, bias of, of you know, do they like kids? Do they not like kids? Do they like this? Do they not like <laughs> that? But um, there's a lot, of, a lot of like, you know, unknown biases that I think go into there. But I, I think I'd say in general that what I, I do see is there's a a lot more transparency on what people are looking for. I think they're before it would be like, I'll take any job anywhere. And it's like, okay, good to know. And now it's like, well, I'm only looking for this area or only looking for this specific type of role or this industry. And I think people are starting to, to specialize a little bit more because they have such a broader reach. You know, when you start to have mm. remote work, instead of just saying, you know, you're only in the London area, you're only in the Sydney area yeah. or the New York City area or whatever. It's like, no, I can work on the West Coast. I can work a couple hours off, you know, in in North America and, and work, exactly. you know, California hours. That's not really a big deal. So now I can specialize and say, well, I want to company that's you know this size and i want a team that's this big and this is kind of the role i'm looking to do and i think that a lot of a lot more people are interested in more specific and and, um are able to specify where they want to go a little bit more than they would you know five years ago where you get a random person and it'd be like yeah we want to work there and then you find out that they're you know 1200 miles away and they're and they're flying up every night and it's like okay how's that working out for you? And then you find out that, you know, that we, we had one person that, you know, was had a pretty long commute and, and that was just how it was. And he was a consultant yeah. and that was his whole kind of life. And he was very comfortable with that. We had another person who's like wife gave an ultimatum. It's like your job or me. And you have a week. And yeah. It's like, okay. And obviously he left, you know, yeah. but it's like, all right. You know, so I think people are a little bit more um, picky on, on where they're looking to work now, you know, And I think that's really important for hiring leaders going forward as well. Like, you know, this is going to pass, but I think people have now gone exactly like you're saying, like I can work more flexibly, but also I don't want to do those long commutes. It's unhealthy. I'm not enjoying it. I'm hoping that companies won't just go, well, I'm sorry, but it's five days in the office, you know, (laughs) because it just, I think they'll lose the opportunity to work with really amazing people. Um, So obviously uh, Debbie Easterday, bless her. We love her. How do how do you partner with her? Like when you you're hiring and you're saying, you know, I want someone who can learn. You, I take it you're taking the time to talk to the recruiters and explain what you're needing. Mm-hmm. Is that what you do? Yeah, I mean, I think I think <laughs> instead of thinking about you know uh, a a vendor, you got to think about like a you know a strategic partner and mm. and shift the mindset a little bit about of who you're working with. You know, ultimately, um, you know, I started working with Debbie because I trust her, so. I do think, and I, I know a bunch of other, you know, amazing recruiters um, that are are really authentic and, and just world class. And I think that when you find those individuals, you don't really care where they're working. You know, like mm-hmm. wh- where Debbie was working, I didn't really care. I just wanted to work mm-hmm. with her. And I think yeah. the same thing with Wes and a bunch of other people that I, that I've known for a lot, a lot of years. It's like, okay, that guy or that that lady, I trust implicitly and wherever they are, that's fine. So I think that, you know, the first thing is to move away from like, 
like a order taker type mentality where it's like, yeah. I have an order and I need this person and here's the five requirements and go get that person and bring it back to me. It's like when you're doing that, you're losing a lot of the benefit of that subtle, the subtleties of the role that probably are important to the success of the role. Yeah. And when you're able to have those kind of open and transparent conversations of like, well, you know what, this person's really directive. And if the person doesn't like to kind of doesn't have like pretty thick skin, it's not going to really work. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, you can't put that in the role, but the reality no. is when you hire, if that person is like, you know, an A type hard personality, they're never going to get along and it will just be yeah. a wasted process for both people. So I think there does need to be a level of like trust and understanding between, um, you know, the, the hiring manager and, and whoever that strategic partner is, this trying to source the individuals because they are really the people that are talking with, you know, the candidates that are trying to understand what's going on and find a good fit, you know, not just yeah. a technical fit or a skill-based fit or a competency fit, but like a cultural fit, a personality fit, a, you know, more of like the soft things that really make things work out well. When you see somebody mm. and you go, you know what, I just like him or she's just great to work with. Like, what does that mean? Well, I think those, <laughs> those you, you know, know, strategic vendors and, and partners find a way to kind of harness those, those folks. And the other thing that comes to mind is I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, Debbie placed some people that were like with, with me that, you know, I would have probably never hired on paper that they just, I want to say they're not hireable, but you know, I would have never, ever picked them out. And I think over time you start to build relationships with, with some folks, you know, uh, you know, both sides as a hiring manager and as a candidate to say like, yeah, you know, you have these longer relationships. And I think that as people get a little bit more, you know, tenured in their, their recruiting and hiring and role, they build longer relationships where like that person might not be available for five years, but when they pop up, yeah. you have a conversation every 18 months or 12 months or six months, or, you know, you pinged once in a while or something. And it's like, Hey, yeah, this would be a great fit for you. And you're like, Oh, cool. And I think that some of those folks, you know, found their way into, into Regeneron as a result of, you know, Debbie just being a, a strong advocate for them. And I think the same thing happens in yeah. other spaces too, that, you know, when you start to have all these different types of HR systems, a lot of the recruiters, you know, don't have time, especially internal recruiters, um, mm -hmm. don't have time to really think, you know, there's yeah. just too many different things. And I think inversely when people get you know rejected or uh, passed over they think wow i thought i had the skills I, I guess i don't and it's like no i guess you probably do have the skills somebody probably never saw your resume and mm. when you start to think of the systems like namely a workday or bamboo hr or Exilus or mm -hmm. you know the iris systems all these systems are like filtering candidates out and i had a funny example of a of individual oh, there were humans filtering them out the systems aren't that good yet well the I mean, I, I looked at some of the workday stuff, you know, the, the reality is the, the humans aren't really filtering them out. You know, there's rule sets that say, mm -hmm. hey, if you're not in this geographic rail area, I don't even want to oh, see I you. Oh, I see it. Got you. Oh, okay. oh, basically, if you don't have these five skills that I've tagged as buzzwords, you're not going to be in the top 10%. And I'm only going to look at the top 10% because I received 500, 500 resumes. So yeah. those individuals never had the resume stop, you know, and I think that's where you, when you partner with the strategic, uh, you know, recruiting company recruiting. or somebody like, you know, yourself or Debbie, what you start to mm -hmm. realize is like those people that maybe the resume isn't perfect, yeah. but 
individually, they're like world-class individuals that need to have time. Then you start to, I mean, I remember one, you know, I won't name his name, but one guy I interviewed and I think I hired him in like, you know, 10 minutes and for like, you know, six months, I said, I didn't want to see his resume anymore. You know, I didn't want to talk to him. And it was like, uh, you know, would you just please give him some time and instead of a 30 minute call, I think you'll be impressed. I was like, bang, I hired him. And I was like, we'll figure out the rates later. Like, make this guy to happen. My partner. <laughs> yeah. And that's just a but, result so, of like having an awesome advocate, you know, for those, for yeah. those candidates. And that's where, where I think hiring managers can really, you know, really benefit if they have that strong um, strategic partner. Exactly. And you must have saved so much time down the line as well. Plus everything was successful because of it. It's the... It's take the time. So really for your advice for recruiters is, you know, build the trust. And um, I guess with in-house teams, they almost need to God, be given more time. I mean, unfortunately, they're seen as a cost center, whereas they're the people bringing in the people. It's crazy. Um, but build those relationships, gain the trust. Yeah, so even if like, even if potentially you can't, you know, because I think mm. what you were seeing now is with, with you know, category management and strategic sourcing and all these different things that are popping up now as, as mm-hmm. bu- buzzwords in procurement, you know, a lot of our, the organizations are saying, well, you can't talk to the hiring manager, you know, like nobody will ever get to talk to me. I'll just get a random email with the resume and it's a yes or no. So I think that there's still an wow. opportunity for those, you know, strategic partners to find the hiring managers and build the relationships anyways. Yeah. Even though yeah. it's not like, oh, here is, you know, Mary's resume. It might not be that. It might be like, hey, there's a bunch of people coming up. And, you know, over the next couple of weeks, you may see some people come through. Keep your eye on that because a couple of them are really, you know, world class and hard to find. And I can't believe they, you know, just decided to leave because X happened and they're available mm-hmm. now, but they're really, you know, shining stars. And I think that as you start to float through the years, you build those relationships and then, and those That's don't funny. really go away. You know, that company, that that hiring manager is working at isn't managing all the relationships. They're mm. really not. It's it's the individuals that are managing the relationships, yeah. and that's where the potential is. Totally. Oh, amazing! You've dropped so much knowledge in these thirty minutes. It's extraordinary. Um, I'm definitely going to get your books now. <laughs> if people want to find you, what's the easiest way if they'd like to connect with you and find out more? Sure. The easiest way is is probably on LinkedIn. Um, just Peter Nickel at you know LinkedIn. Just search for Peter B. Nickel on LinkedIn, and I'm I'm available. Feel free to connect. And I'm always open to connect to to new expiring minds. Brilliant, and I will of course put link to your LinkedIn profile below in the blurb, so people can find you there. Um, thank you again for carving out the time to talk to us. I'm I'm like mind blown. I've written that many notes while you've been talking, and hey, I feel like I need pleasure. to listen to it again. Um, so I do appreciate it so much. Um, And again, just thank you. Huge thank you for all of that information. Sure, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with everybody. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited Podcast, proudly supported by the people at WorkDrive. Hopefully you really enjoyed what you heard and have left feeling inspired. And if so, I would love your help to create real change. Please pass this podcast on to your hiring leaders and other recruiters and HR even share it on your social channels if you feel so inclined. But the more reach we can get, the more change we can create. So please remember to subscribe, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. And do come and say hello at Hiring Partner Perspective on Instagram, where I share behind the scenes of what's going on. Until next time. Thank you.
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.